behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept, and neither has Carl. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. <laughs> Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? Hey Viv, before we dive headfirst into this week's uh, episode, which... Uh, Plenty of great topics today, actually. Shouldn't sound so surprised, though. Uh, can we just go back to last week when we spoke about The Edge and its possible rebrand to Cater? Uh, no confirmation of that yet, but it does look like ARN has hired uh, a new comms company for The Edge or Cater. Yes, so they've brought on board Mango Communications, which is part of the wider DDB uh, holding group, The press release announcing the appointment of the agency, though, did very much still refer to it as the Edge 96.1 rebrand. There was no confirmation of Cater. I guess it's the comms agency's job to do uh, the big reveal, which perhaps we've undermined a little bit because my sources from uh, within ARN do say that uh, we're onto something with Cater. And I believe there might be a little bit of a joke where some people are referring to it as Cicada, but I won't say why. This week on That's Entertainment, will Carrie Bickmore return to 10 after her family vacay? Does the ABC's Double J really need an FM licence? And in this week's Hot Take, why is Channel 7 selling us hope? There has been somewhat of a feeding frenzy in the tabloids this week after Carrie Bickmore took to Instagram on Tuesday night to announce that she was heading off with her family for a little uh, vacation, an extended one actually, in Europe, which means that she will not be on the project desk for a while, uh, but she still plans to do her uh, afternoon show with Tommy Little on the hit network for Southern Cross Stereo. But it has led to some interesting headlines the past sort of 24 hours of Well, just to geographically correct you there, Jake, she's going to the UK, which as a result of Brexit is not part of Europe. So this is not a a European journey. This is very much a UK uh, journey. It's led to all sorts of uh, speculation about her TV future and if that's in doubt, what's going to happen with the Carrie and Tommy show and if she's going to be replaced there. Uh, who who would have thought that a woman going on a holiday could lead to apparently the complete upheaval of both a radio and a television lineup? Well, I just wanted to share a little personal news uh, from me tonight before we go on, that in April I'm going to be taking a few months off the project desk. Uh, Chris and I and the kids are heading off on a family adventure together. Uh, we've been wanting to do it for a while, but... We're going to do term two in the UK, so I'll be off for a couple of months. I love this for you so much. As why wouldn't I? Yes, well, you're a big inspiration for heading overseas. Thought she might have been using Kate Langbrook's uh, travel agent, but you're right. It's the UK. I just had a look. yeah, you're right. It'll be interesting to see who replaces her on the 10 desk. You, it's, you look at the tabloids right now, I've just searched Carrie Bickmore in Google and it's it's really pitting Carrie against every other woman in the media industry from Abby Chatfield to Sarah uh, Harris to um, Lisa Wilkinson. 
Yeah, all these things talking about her future being in doubt are interesting because you mentioned Kate Langbrook there who uh, has a strong radio and television career and she moved with her husband and her children to Italy for a couple of years. At the time they did very much say that her Husey and Kate radio show would continue and it didn't really. She did dial in and do bits and pieces for a while but that did become sort of untenable and she was ultimately replaced by Ed Cavalier. It's not like her career fell apart, though. She came back and she's now on the 3pm pickup on KISS and she's on the project. So I don't think Carrie will have trouble getting employed if and when she returns. It just might look a little different in the same way that it did when Kate Langbrook came back. One of, In terms of the radio show, one of three things will happen. They'll pre-record the show. Uh, or she'll wake up at 4am and do it live every day, uh, or she will just dial in. Uh, There was talk that uh, this morning via the Daily Mail, the most credible source in entertainment news in Australia, that Abby Chatfield uh, might replace Carrie on the radio show with Tommy. Apparently those two have a bit of uh, history as well, if the Daily Mail's to be believed, but I won't speculate. Uh, although he does refer to himself as a serial dater, I believe. Anyway, I did reach out to uh, SCA to find to find out if there was any truth to this story. Uh, and they did come back and say, uh, absolutely not, a spokesperson said. Uh, she's definitely doing the show from the UK. Uh, in what form that will take or look like or sound like is yet to be seen. Yeah, I can see why uh, people's minds automatically jumped to Abby Chatfield because there's been so much speculation that bringing her on board to SCA and the Hit Network is part of a wider plan to train her for something bigger. I just think it's probably a bit soon for that, not because she doesn't have, you know, the, the talent or the chops, more that they've invested so much in Hot Nights with Abby Chatfield, in that branding, in reinventing Nights Radio. I just think it would be a shame from that programming perspective to shift her so soon, not to mention that a key part of her brand on Hot Nights with Abby Chatfield is being a bit more dangerous and daring with her content, whereas a lot of the appeal for Carrie and Tommy in the much earlier 3pm slot is that they're very, very brand safe and they don't need the massive audience scale because they do brand integrations and it's all about a safer form of sort of radio for for mums on the school run and, and whatnot. So I'm not sure that Abby's current personal brand would really fit what they're trying to do with that time slot. It fits far better with the edgier hot nights. I agree. And I think too, for Carrie, logistically, it's impossible to do television uh, from the other side of the world each day. But audio is certainly much more lenient to that. Uh, And of course, then of course, you've got to talk about the dollars and cents of it all. I mean, uh, the project or Channel 10 reports are that she's paid somewhere, you know, around five to 600,000 there and reports for her radio salary are, you know, one to $2 million per year. So it's more financially sensible for her as well to keep that moving. Yeah, logistically it will be far easier. I suspect, if anything, they'll lean towards the pre-records and the sort of occasional live segment and maybe, you know, she'll have a couple of days off and they'll trial out some some other people. You know, Kate Ritchie's been off uh, 
the Kate, Tim and Joel show recently and they've had the likes of Ricky Lee Coulter and, and other people from TV and radio and entertainment filling in, it's actually always a great opportunity to try out other combinations, other talent and just see what's out there. And that's kind of why they say, like, don't ever take a holiday in radio. But as I say, I think Carrie Bickmore's <laughs> media career might look different when she comes back, but I hardly think she's completely on the way out. The question then is, will she remain with 10? I can't remember when she signed her last contract with the network, but there has been plenty of speculation that she'll move into a bigger role with radio in the past and, of course, television as well. I mean, she's been tipped to join the Today Show and Today FM Breakfast, for example, over the years. I wonder whether this will be a bit of a reset for her and whether she will land somewhere else in the near future. Well, who hasn't been tipped for Today FM Breakfast in the past, to be fair? <laughs> so I wouldn't even bother giving that any weight or... Uh, credibility. She might well move on. There's a a host of other strong female talent in the project to uh, fill the void that she might leave. She has been there since the beginning. She might just actually feel like doing something different. It's a really big commitment to do that afternoon radio slot and then that TV slot every single night, particularly with uh, three children. So she might use it as an opportunity to get back to something, I don't know, a bit more serious or just a bit more, uh, in terms of the clock, a a bit more feasible. Uh, Still to come on That's Entertainment, our hot take, why is Channel 7 selling us hope? Uh, But up next, does the ABC's Double J really need an FM licence? Viv, last week you got the scoop uh, on a campaign by a bunch of incredible Australian women in the music industry who are launching a petition, have launched a petition, which is already edging, if not surpassed, uh, its target of 10,000 signatures to launch Double J back onto an FM frequency in a bid to get more Aussie acts who aren't 16 years old on commercial radio. Yes, so their original target was 10,000 signatures. I've just clicked and they've gone over that. It's going up as we speak, 10,055, 10,056. Inevitably, they've just upped that to 15,000 as you do. Once you get the goal, you try and get more Mm. and more. It's being spearheaded by a collective of Missy Higgins, Casey Chambers, Kate Miller-Heidke, Sarah Blasco, Vicky Thorne and Deborah Conway who sort of say that commercial radio supports their old releases in a lot of instances. You know, it's not unusual to hear Missy Higgins' scar getting a run on on the radio, but their point is their new releases as older ageing women, they don't get the attention that they deserve and therefore existing fans and potential new fans don't end up finding them, whereas for men who continue to release music at that age... They get more support from commercial radio, particularly from the likes of Triple M. So they just think they're not getting the exposure and the attention that they deserve and they believe a simple way to fix that would be to have Double J's reach uh, expanded. I think it's a sensible idea, quite frankly. Uh, I think Double J would rate much better than Classic FM. That's going to piss off a lot of people. But I, I genuinely think it would. Uh, and I think when you are, you know, have these public licences out there, surely you want, as, as you know, the, the largest unheard voices getting that sort of attention. Um, what you also scooped uh, today as we record this on Wednesday is that uh, Labor has come out in support of this idea. It's quite easy for oppositions uh, facing a, an impending election to come out in support of bloody any idea, particularly when the government has remained mm. silent on a particular issue. So, 
yes, the arts minister, Tony Burke, and or the, the shadow arts minister, I should say, getting a bit ahead of myself there, and uh, the shadow minister for <laughs> communications, Michelle Rowland, have said that it would be a huge positive step for Australian music. They've said they agree that Double J is a fantastic platform and that they really do support the idea and they want to see it happen. The petition had called, though, for sort of a more concrete commitment in terms of dollars and cents. They wanted both parties to say, we're committing money to making this happen, whereas the uh, federal Labor opposition have sort of said, you know, we'll look at it, we'd speak to the ABC, we'd speak to ACMA. So no concrete commitment, but they are at this stage saying they support the idea in principle. The other argument which I've seen come up in the comments thread uh, after you've published this story is around DAB and and the idea that uh, Double J is available in a digital format and it brings up the question as to why we haven't moved away from FM and to DAB uh, already as other countries have or are further ahead than we are. There are many questions about the the, the pace of change Uh, here. People ask the same question when it comes to the way we measure the radio ratings. Uh, People bring it up even when we talk about the radio ratings in terms of breaking it down by AM and FM and having number one FM station. Everyone always uh, has an opinion on whether or not the pace of change is quick enough here. But I I don't think these women are wrong. Getting exposure on radio would help them. Yes, it's not really where artists break anymore. That's going to happen on the likes of TikTok and then people will search that out on Shazam or the streaming services or whatnot. But it's still important for that mass scale reach and also just for equality. You know, you've got these fantastic artists releasing fantastic music and if you can't get it broken through on TikTok and, and maybe you're not, you know, connecting with the kids on Snapchat because that's not your demo, you have to be able to reach people in some way and I think that's what these women are saying. I think so too. Uh, are you on Snapchat? I am not on Snapchat or on TikTok uh, and I rarely go on Facebook. So, look, if you maybe I'm the person that's going to hear a song for the first time on the radio. I'll be that rare exception where I discover something six months after everybody else. <laughs> uh I like the idea of Double J getting an FM licence. I think that would be great for music uh, and great for the ABC too, quite frankly. Well, I guess we'll have to see uh, who wins uh, the election. No doubt it will not be a sort of top tier priority, which the women did acknowledge even in releasing this petition and this movement on International Women's Day. They acknowledged that globally and even locally there are far more pressing issues of safety and equality and whatnot, but part of International Women's Day is also, you know, advocating for yourself and advocating for celebrating achievement, and so that's why they used that day to to begin the push. actually had quite a few uh, people, uh, including some commercial radio people send me your story today uh, suggesting that perhaps they should stop pumping money into music radio uh, and perhaps put that money elsewhere. Thoughts? It's such a funny argument when people start breaking down how the budget works like this, like stop funding the ABC and make it an equal playing field for the commercial players and just throw that money at health. I mean, that's an absurd argument as far as I'm concerned because the government already has money and they're not throwing it at health. The government already has billions and billions of dollars for a relief fund that they didn't touch in the face of the Northern Rivers flooding disaster. The money is there. That's not the issue. We're not really at the point of counting pennies and saying no more money for double J, let's give it to aged care. It's just not as as simple as that. And we do need a national broadcaster. We do need uh, something like 
triple J and double J and the ABC that don't have those commercial considerations. And if the commercial media can't keep up or they don't like it, well, then they're not doing their jobs. Believe it or not, that wasn't our hot take. Uh, The real one is up next. (laughs) That's entertainment hot take. If you were part of a, a Channel 7 briefing this week, looking at some of its upcoming programming highlights and sort of how it's positioning itself, and you've given me two words. One is nostalgia. I get it. The second is hope. Uh, I feel like there's not as much of it around as Seven might think there is, given what's happening in the world, whether it's the floods that we just spoke about a moment ago uh, or uh, the war in Ukraine or the pandemic or those Japanese mosquitoes. Yeah, or the, you know, looming climate crisis uh, where every day in Sydney it fucking rains and it just reminds you that doom is uh, looming. Seven obviously wants to tell a very different narrative than than we do. Uh, They made the point that the thing that unites everybody right now is hope. They used that thread through building up excitement for their AFL season, saying that that's what unites the AFL community. They used it for their entertainment programs. They used it as, as this apparently overarching theme that is just connecting all consumers right now. Love the idea of it. We could definitely all do with a bit of hope. I just don't agree with their blanket statement that the thing that unites everyone right now is hope. I think there's a severe lack of hope. So so good on Channel 7 if they can if they can bring that back and, and actually make people hopeful. Not sure that uh, Big Brother and uh, My Kitchen Rules are, are the things that are going to give people hope in the face of these looming problems. But you never know. Uh, some hope is better than no hope. What is it about Aussie rules? What is it that draws us all in? The answer is simple. It's hope. (laughs) These decisions uh, are made at pay grades much higher than ours, but... What's your take? If it wasn't hope, what should Channel 7 be selling right now? I think them selling the other pillar that they had of nostalgia is is good. Seven has really gone back to basics with its tentpole programming under its CEO and managing director, James Warburton. He got the voice from Channel 9, brought back Farmer Wants a Wife. Uh, they're reviving Australian Idol. They're on their iteration of Big Brother this year. They're getting back previous winners such as Tim Dormer and Reggie. Uh, That was part of the big promo. Everything is about remembering a time before. And I guess that does link to hope a little bit because in in the before times maybe we did have hope. Uh, So they're trying to, to tap into that feeling. I just wonder if perhaps they're leaning on nostalgia a little bit too much the only sort of new and innovative things they have are sport where they're doing lots of exciting things with the olympics with the afl with the upcoming commonwealth games in terms of their tentpole entertainment programs though we are very much looking at a a bygone era when uh, big brother was in a very different world australian idol was in a different world and maybe they're hoping that they can sell us that hope uh, of of that pre-pandemic uh pre-war in the ukraine time that they did it with the voice they said that was the number one entertainment launch in 30 years which would effectively make it the number one entertainment launch of my lifetime not sure what they're doing to measure that uh, success but they've done it before maybe they can do it again hopeful
It all sounds a bit hopeless, if I'm honest. Uh, I think the nostalgia angle makes a lot of sense. I mean, we can see it happening in other areas too, whether it's even radio, for example, where playlists are leaning on uh, music and hits from decades gone by and, and that's really a reflection of where audiences are at. Uh, in terms of who's listening and in what demos and who's watching, of course, uh, because the younger generation uh, are spending more time on TikTok and Snapchat, as we spoke about earlier, and older audiences are still you know, watching and consuming where they did previously and nostalgia sells. Channel 7 certainly isn't the only network doing it. Channel 10 with MasterChef brought back previous favourites. They've done it with their Survivor franchise as well. Everybody's looking to revive that era of uh, free-to-air broadcast television being the number one entertainment platform and the number one uh, launcher of entertainment brands. I guess it does really work for Channel 7, though. Channel 10 is very much positioning itself as, you know, the the woke network, uh, the one that ticks the diversity boxes, that puts pressure on the its competitors to have more diversity both in its leadership and, and on screen Channel 9 is sort of the the dominant entertainment force with the likes of MAFs and then Channel 7 is going to really tap into this uh, old school television brands and, and reinventing it with the added benefit, I guess, of the technology of 2022. You know, they're really pushing the brand integrations they can do uh, with programs like this, particularly with connected televisions on programs such as The Voice and Big Brother. And I guess that would give uh, the Channel 7 sales team quite a bit of hope. Uh, Every sales team loves a little bit of hope. We know that. What are you most excited about this year in terms of TV shows on the horizon, local or international? Goodness me. Uh, Look, I think I probably actually will give Big Brother a go just because I actually recognise some of the uh, old people coming back. I'm also excited to see whether Australian Idol can translate in 2022 because that was such a key part of me uh, growing up and and that era of being exposed to to entertainment and and discovering and breaking uh, new singers in a way that sort of doesn't happen now. Uh, And then I've also read a report that uh, Boy Swallows Universe is being turned, which is a book, is being turned into some kind of local content here on Mm. one of the streaming platforms. So uh, I'll definitely also be keeping an eye out for that. Uh, there might be more great shows on Seven now that Michael Pell's in Los Angeles, uh, immersed in all of the television happenings. Yeah, so this news has come through as we've been recording. Michael Pell, of course, uh, the child prodigy who uh, has been the executive producer of Sunrise for a very long time and really, really helped it get to that number one position in terms of its battle against Channel 9's today. There's been rumours circulating for a while that he might be departing or something might be happening with Sunrise Management. It turns out he's going to be Senior Vice President Entertainment Content North America based in Los Angeles, but still for Seven West Media and reporting to CEO and Managing Director James Warburton. I just don't fully understand the role in terms of having someone based in Los Angeles for Channel 7 when so much of the push at the moment is for local content rather than these uh, partnership deals when so often international entertainment shows now do better on the streaming services than on broadcast free-to-air television because people like to binge the likes of uh, Grey's Anatomy and and all those shows. So not quite sure what he's going to do. I suspect he really wants to 
live in LA and he's he's going to live in LA. It does leave a really big hole at Sunrise though, which they haven't announced uh, who will replace him. Is it possible that Seven are working on their own streaming platform and having someone on the ground with his experience uh, and connections and pedigree might really help? Absolutely. There's been lots of chatter about whether Seven is going to partner with an international content powerhouse, whether it's to bolster its uh, existing platform 7 Plus or whether it's to launch something more competitive with the likes of Stan and Netflix in terms of something that viewers pay to subscribe to. He will definitely be over there meeting with, you know, all the content houses, all the production companies and what that ends up looking like uh, is probably more related to a digital play than a tentpole program we'll see at 7.30pm on Channel 7 on a Monday. That's it for this week. Any final thoughts? I have no more thoughts left in my brain. Great. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.